0: Connecting to the big show.
1: In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to
2: be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair
1: on every child who doesn't have options. It's
0: amazing how many intelligent people they're absolutely that. They're what is the matter with these people? We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can
1: we just talk? Call 818 96 96
0: 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96.
1: Email opinion at 96FM.ie.
0: The lines are live. Let's
1: kickstart the conversation.
0: This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
1: on Corks 96FM.
3: know, so is it any wonder with the weather as changeable as it is? Um, that so many people are laid low with this blasted throat and chest thing that got a hold of me last week. And you heard the state of my voice as I finished up before the the June weekend. Thankfully, back at an even keel at some stage now, or in some ways, but not quite there yet. I may tell you now, I'm still taking stuff it's 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 rampant and t- just talking to people KC has had a lash of it it's been through a few parts of this building friends family people i know were supposed to meet at the weekend they're gone down with it this thing is is rampant and um, whatever it is a nasty chest and throat and it, it feels or starts like a bad bout of hair fever and then just gets progressively worse and um, but <laughs> It's but you look out at the weather, it's so flipping changeable. I was sitting out the back last evening, um, wiring up some new lights for the garden. It was a gorgeous evening. Look at it now. For God's sake. Anyway, good morning. Stop. 0818 96 96 96 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. And in a few hours' time, this woman will... Add her name or her name will be added to a list that includes such luminaries as John F. Kennedy, Mary Robinson, Mary McAleese, Michael D. Higgins, Jack Lynch, Albert Reynolds, John Major, Peter Barry, Tip O'Neill, George Mitchell, Ronan O'Gara, Roy Keane, Sonia O'Sullivan, Sean O'Gohalpine, Michael Flatley, Chan Maya, Billa and A.G. Roach. And down at the bottom of that list this afternoon will go the name of Mary Crilly. How are you, my friend? Are you nervous?
4: I'm I'm nervous I didn't sleep a wink. I'm like a child going to school for the first day, like an you know, anxious about it and excited about it and still a feeling of disbelief about it, you know, saying to myself, this is really happening. Um, it just seems so unreal and I'm so proud and I'm so proud to be living in Cork and I was just thinking last night, I'm so proud of the road or the path that my life took that, as you know from interviewing me, I never would have envisaged that this would be yeah. how my life would be in the past 40 years, but I'm so proud um, of how things turned out and where we're going in Cork especially.
3: Yeah, it, it was a, an interesting life, and maybe we talk a little bit about it this morning, Mary, because this—you—you you went to a meeting after a troublesome time in your life. You went to a meeting, and it all started from there. Why don't you tell the tell the story for people who might know it?
4: Well, I think um, I originally from Dublin. I moved to Cork in 1977. You know, as I'd say, I was born in Dublin, but I am a, a, a true Cork woman as far as I'm concerned. Um, and it's like the two would say, by the grace of God, I ended up in Cork. And that's honestly how I feel. I don't think all the stuff I went through with my life I could have done so well if, if I wasn't in Cork. Cork supported me, you know, all through it. in in 1983 I was living in Housing estate in Greenhouse Court and there was a neighbour who told me that she was part of a group that was thinking about setting up a rape crisis centre and when I come to a meeting and I did come and they were lovely women and they kind of worked out what they needed and what they wanted I really couldn't follow where they were going or what they needed and often wondered what benefit or what use would I be there but I kind of stuck it out Mm -hmm. I think I stuck it out for a couple of reasons, one because as you know I'd been abused myself and you're the first person who I ever Told on radio, um, mm. on, on on I think just last year. So there could have been part of me kind of saying, maybe I'll get help here. I think it could have been a part of isolation and maybe I'll meet other people here. You know, sometimes I think when we join something or when I join something, I'm not always. I wasn't always thinking upfront about my reason for joining it. But that, that's how it happened. And I would have given myself maybe six months because you know I was into babysitters and you know neighbors kind of helped me out. Um. But that's how it happened. Time just went by. We went from working with volunteers to kind of see schemes to, you know, taking on people. It just just flew, and, and before I knew where I was, I was the only one mm. kind of left of the original group within within a couple of years.
3: The person who reached out to you at that time to go to that meeting that was that was a moment of vision on their part, wasn't it?
4: I think it was because I think she kind of thought that the people that were there were amazing, but maybe let's spread it out. Let's get other people who weren't involved in, you know, in college or academics or solicitors who were the amazing women who needed to get the whole thing started. But I think that was her thoughts. Maybe we need to diverse a bit and get cross-sectional people involved.
3: Yeah. And at a time when the centre was set up us, or this, the beginnings of the centre, it was a lot less acceptable than it is now to talk about these things?
2: It
4: wasn't talked about at all. It really wasn't talked about. You wouldn't even get an ad in the paper. And, you know, for the first nine months, we had a room or had a filing cabinet, as I say, in the key co-op, which had been set up as a vegetarian um, restaurant, vegetarian whole food shop. And they had a room upstairs and we had a filing cabinet in there and that's where the phone was and that's where the centre was. But even within the first nine months, um, we and the co-op were raided by the special branch. I mean, I ask you, all the, the key we had was bags of lentils down the basement and a few books around the place. Yeah. And they weren't a threat to anybody. Neither were we. But we were seen as a threat. You know we really were because we were seen as quite radical and i think for we only stayed there nine months because we really knew at that stage it wasn't appropriate for people who needed support to come in there because it was too hard to walk in there in the first place so then we moved to mccurson street and we were in mccurson street for a good 14 15 years till we moved to where we are now in Campbell place and when we found that building it was derelict but um, I really thought it would give us more of a voice, it would give us more awareness, more vision, uh, people might see us more, uh, we could really talk about what was going on in the city. But to be honest, we wouldn't have got where we have without the people of Cork, like we didn't get any funding for the building then, mm. um, even even back then, but the people in Cork just kind of helped us out, got the building ready, sought to us um helped us with whatever we needed. So I often find the building in camera Place, as far as I'm concerned, it does belong to the board, but it belongs to the people, and people of Cork. And it's been a great building for us because we've had events in it, we've had functions, we've had schools in it. It's really open for anybody to come in and, you know, hold different meetings and different um, different events with us.
3: And you talk about times changing. Yeah, we didn't talk about these things in, in 1982, but even 15 years ago, it was a very public place. To put a centre like this. And I remember at the time, Mary, even people said to you, God, that's very upfront.
4: You did. I mean, there was a huge discussion about was I doing wrong by victims or survivors making it so visible for them to come in. And then, you know, you're torn between do you make it easy for people to come in and get support or get help? Or do you kind of make them walk up and down the street and see which floor are the people on and go in hidden as if there is still about shame? So you, I was caught between the two of them. So I know when we built a porch in the building and I said to a number of people who had concerns initially, go across the river and I'll have two or three people walk in different buildings and let me know which one they walked in, and people didn't. They didn't realise which one you walked in. There was doctors there, just there solicitors there, just there dentists there. So um, all that was blown to touch, and people love it now because if they're coming from East Cork, North Cork, or West Cork, they can find the place so easily. You know, and schools have come in, and different people have come in. But that was that was a concern back then. Was I doing wrong by people who really needed need the support? But um, it's worked out really well, and I think changing the name then really helped us because I was coming across people who were saying, "I." Didn't didn't know my brother could come in or the usual would be it wasn't a real rape it was somebody who I knew who raped me and so it wasn't a real rape so I can't come into the rape crisis center and then of course we came across people who had been trafficked and that's more sexual violence um, you know and spiking and stalking and other forms of sexual violence so changing the name even at the time I was kind of worried about it but I was feeling was I letting down the original people who set up a rape crisis centre. But I think it was the best move we made because it made the centre so inclusive. Mm. But you live and learn as you go along. It wasn't like we sat down and planned. It was just kind of as we went along, we're just looking at who's coming in. And um, up to last week, I looked up the figures and over 10,000 people have used the service up to now.
3: 10,000. Many of them men. Many of them people. Oh,
4: many of them men, yeah. yeah.
3: Many of them people. And
4: teenagers.
3: Teenagers. Like... <laughs> Has the profile, Barry, changed of who goes in now and who sits down and says, I need help? <sighs>
4: I think it's changed a bit. I think there's a lot lot of younger people coming in who I hate seeing coming in. There's a lot of 14, 15, 16-year-olds, and I find that heartbreaking, you know, to think is anybody listening 40 years on that these children are still being abused or still Mm -hmm. being raped or still, you know, going across some kind of abuse by their peers or by their family members and stuff. But, my God, they have the courage to come in because I think when people do knock on that door, it's it's kind of saying – Um, I have a bit of hope that my days might be better if I come in here and that's really all they're looking for. You'd have older men coming in who mightn't have come before who maybe during COVID found life very difficult because they weren't working or they weren't as busy as they used to be and they might have been abused as children and it kind of came up and hit them in the face and they don't feel ashamed anymore about coming in. They might feel ashamed about what happened to them but there isn't really the same shame about having to come in and look for help or look for support. Mm. You know, so that's definitely changing and the older women Coming in rather than the, you know, what people might think is just the age group of 19 to 25 young girls who they think are the only ones who really get raped because they're getting drunk and they're not remember whether they consent or not, which is which isn't true. But that's often the image people have about a rape crisis centre. Yeah,
3: yeah. Myth busting, you know, breaking up, busting the common myths about rape and sexual assault is something that you. You've often done, you've always done, in fact. And, you know, so many cases never see their way into court. And, and one of the things was that people said, well, it's never going to go to court. I'm never going to be able to, but they thought they, they used to think, well, I, no one's going to help me. I can't go to court. You'll help someone whether they're going to court or not.
4: I mean, I think the majority we see don't go to court. The majority we yes. see don't report. But I mean, I would ask people at this stage if they're considering reporting, talk to the Protective Services Unit in Anglesey Street. There's a great gang over there. There's about 20 of them working in that unit. And they're quite prepared to speak to anybody without, you know, getting to sign a statement, just going through what might happen or what they could do and how they could work with them or support them. Because the Protective Services Unit often meet people and then ring us and say, look, this person isn't ready um, to make a statement yet, but maybe you could help her or him out so I would encourage people if they're unsure just to talk to the protective service unit just to see what they need to do um, or talk to us or talk to anybody and talk to their families because as I've said um, a lot of times families matter so much i mean there's people listening who might think there's not a lot, not a lot they can do but there is i mean we're just the backup we're just people who can help out at certain times in somebody's life but you're the ones who really matter you're the ones the fathers especially who i find young girls want to talk to and um, because they love them but they're afraid in case they might the father might look at them differently if they say they were raped or abused. Mm. Um, and these fathers, I know would hate to know 10 years later that the little girl who they're mad about had something horrific done to her and was afraid to tell him. So I think if we all keep the conversation going, we can definitely change it. Like, we wouldn't be speaking like this 10 years ago. No. Um, I certainly wouldn't be in this unreal situation of going into City Hall later on and um, being given the freedom of the city. That feels just so strange. But isn't it amazing? Because this is for all survivors and... Yeah. The support I'm getting, um, from survivors kind of contacting me saying they really feel it's for them. I think the city hall has done amazing by, yeah. by doing this, by acknowledging this. But, and I've said it before and I'm saying it again, PJ, it really is a lot of us down to you because you've given me and the center and other volunteer groups so much airtime. You really have, and you've really kept the topic going and the conversation going. And that's made a massive difference right. to people.
3: You're very kind to, to to say that, Mary, and and uh, you've always been available to us on the show to talk, either briefly or in depth, on any subject we wanted you to talk about. And thank you for that. Now, how are you, my friend? Because you worried us a couple of times in the last few years with your health and the symptoms I'm good. I mean, I'm good. Upstairs. I did have stage so, um,
4: three bowel cancer yeah. a couple of years ago, and I did have a. Um, a scan there a couple of months ago and they brought me back for an MRI because they weren't sure if there was something else there and then they brought me back two weeks ago for another scan but um, all is fine, all is good so um, I'm not going anywhere yet, I am working on a three year plan to exit the centre because I'll be 70 in three years time and just to make sure there's people in there, I will and to make sure there's people way, in woman. there to continue what I'm doing and um, but I'm not going anywhere yet. So for the next three years, it's kind of watch out world because I'm not retiring yet and I'm definitely going to be on the move to make more changes and do a lot more the next three years. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a bit like, I might decide three years time, I want to stay on and do the campaign or do the schools, but I want the centre to be in such a position that others can walk in and just take over. You know, that it doesn't just fall apart or crumble because one person goes because that would be so wrong and that would just be so wrong. So that's Mm -hmm. my thinking. Yeah. You're, you're, 17, you're, three years' time. I don't know where the time goes.
3: <laughs> you, you've grown up kids and a partner. They, will they be there today?
4: They will. They will. And I've three grandchildren. Now, they won't be there, but my daughters will be there. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Thanks.
3: Fantastic. Mary, I'm so thrilled for you. I'm so delighted for you and so proud to call you my friend.
4: Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank
3: you. The Wonderful, Mary. Craig, uh, the, the, I just get emotional listening to her because she is just fantastic. Absolutely. Fantastic, Mary Crilly uh, will be a Freeman of Cork in the next five to six hours. Was there one more deserved in recent times? You could argue against it. They
0: can call me. Wayne Hilton, Wayne Hilton. The on Corks
1: ninety six FM.
0: Join me Saturday mornings from 10.
5: I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne teaser question. There's the latest celebrity gossip. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up
0: to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m.
1: With CarMax Used Car Supermarket. Dublin Road for Moy. Great deals on hundreds of cars. Just a short drive from the tunnel. Visit C A O R N A X X carmax.ie.
0: On Cork's. 96 FM. Of course, if you need
3: help at all, Uh, The protective service unit is at Anglesey Street. You can call them through the switchboard there, 452-2000. You can call Mary's Centre. I'll give you all those details in a minute. And the free phone number for them is one 496 496 Now, Rebecca O'Riordan, the last Fuss March, which was on, I think, the 6th of May, was a big success. A lot of people turned out, both here and in Dublin. There's another one coming up uh, this weekend, Becca, good morning.
6: Hi, good morning. Thanks for having us on.
3: You're doing it again.
6: We are, and um, I suppose it's we kind of we knew we were going to have to do it again, uh, realistically. Um, however, things started to crop up that made us think, okay, well, we were going to do it again next year, and then we realised that it hadn't made enough of an impact. For I mean, we're still. We still haven't... Um, Michal Martin was up at UCC the day that we had the march. Uh, we didn't even get an email. Um, there's no... There's just not enough urgency to them, whereas there's urgency to us. Our, our children are disappearing from communities all over Ireland every single day, and if that isn't urgent enough for them to take action, well, then we'll just have to keep getting out on the streets as m- often as necessary.
3: Yeah. One person who called me around the time of the last Fuss March says that they think if we ignore them or if they ignore us, we'll go away. That's the rock at which they'll perish.
6: Yeah, that seems to be the plan, frankly. Um, we did, we actually, um, we contacted Michal Martin's office. We asked for a meeting and uh, we were told that he was already meeting another um, parent, um, you know, in the Cork area. We were told that if we met him in Dublin, maybe we could get a meeting that way. I'm not sure why his time is different in Dublin as to what it is in Cork, but we said, we'll meet you on the mountaintops. Mm-hmm. If that's what it takes, we'll meet whoever we need to, wherever we need to. Because the fact of the matter is that these these issues are coming up in the doll and they're all acting like they've heard it for the first time. But we speak, their constituents contact us. We yeah. know exactly who they're, they are extremely aware. You'd have to be living under a rock not to know that this crisis is happening. Yeah. They're just, there's a, we sorted out Dublin Airport and we acted like it was the end of the world. And I'm not saying that it isn't a big, you know, that it yeah, wasn't yeah. a terrible thing, but where is that? Where is the urgency for children left without wheelchairs? For children, like the the amount of families that contacted us, it was it was the stories they told us. Each one, you just, you you think they can't get any worse and they just do. They just keep getting more and more horrific. And these children are living, like they're literally, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't see them in the shops anymore. These are families that you might, you, you think maybe they moved out of the area because you used to see them at the match on a Friday. You used to see them in the supermarket. They can't, they can't even leave the house anymore. They don't have suitable equipment for their children or their children haven't gotten the supports they need to be able to live in their communities and just simply exist. Yeah. Have you gained strength
3: from one another since this started, Rebecca? Because if I, if I might say, your voice certainly is more strong, strong and confident than when you first came on the show. You seem to have gained strength in this.
6: I think, I think that like we have a really lovely group. We have a lovely group of, of parents and we're, you know, not everybody wants to talk or not everybody want, can do this or can do that. But we have our own little, like our own little group and our own lovely little, you know, little community growing. And in that little community, we're able to, you know, give each other support and go oh look i actually did manage to get that thing that you were told doesn't exist yeah um and i got it by doing this this and this because that's the at the end of the day you you know you either get no diagnosis or you do get a diagnosis but either way you don't even get a pamphlet on how to deal with the issues you know what mm-hmm. i mean not even not even a, a piece of paper Um, If you're very lucky, you can Google it, but that's literally as much help as you get when your child has a disability in Ireland at this point.
3: But there's an incredible value, and I I speak from experience here as a parent, Rebecca, there's an incredible value, isn't there, in another parent who's been where you are or somewhere similar, who got something you're looking for and said, you know what you do now, do this, this and this, and no one else will tell you until that parent says (laughs) this, this and this.
6: And magically That's it. it happens. It's, it's crazy because it's almost like trying to get the keys to a magical kingdom that you have to go climb up the mountain on the full moon and ask Timmy over there that nobody knows exists. Like, people are being told left, right and centre that there's no assessments being done. That is a lie. Every child in this country, under the Disability Act That's as right. it currently legally stands, is,
3: enti-
6: is legally entitled. If your child isn't hasn't had their assessment of need commenced in three months, then you are entitled to make a complaint under the Disability Act. When your complaint is upheld, you are entitled to take the state to court and compel them to complete that assessment. And frankly, I would urge everyone to do that because we are getting to a point now that's a little bit concerning because there are we have been contacted by a lot of people with a lot of information that is allegedly being circulated at meetings um, about the and the full extent of what's actually happening. Um, which explains why things are so bad, is starting to come to the fore. And unfortunately it looks like things are going to get a lot worse before they get better, yeah. because and there is no... Stuff, r- I
3: know there's stuff you can't um, talk about on air, but I, I, I'm i hearing what you're hearing, yeah.
6: Yeah, and it's uh, it's, it's kind of getting to the point now where, where we would urge every single, don't wait for help. It's not coming. And I don't mean that to be negative. I mean, Go seek out your other parents. Go seek out a solicitor. Hmm. Do what you have to do immediately. Take action as a matter of urgency. Time is critical and our children have lost so much. And together we're going to we're going to take back their childhood because that's what they're losing here. You know, we have we have children who are literally like they've they've had no childhood. They don't have kid experiences because you know Every, every this has been taken from them their ability to to go out in their community and to engage with their peers and to even just to go to crash to go to preschool to go to primary school they're being robbed of it left right and center and we're just sitting at home and we just we can't anymore this mm. this there's some very insidious and and worrying um level of um hands-off approach to this whole situation, because the HSE have gotten to the point where they're they the fourth branch of government that nobody has any control over. And that's been happening for a long time, but when it comes to children's disability services, you can see it yourself, it's out in the media. Our children are carrot and stick. Yeah. They're, they're literally the playing tug of war in the media while our children sit at home in wheelchairs that don't fit, losing skills and they act like this is acceptable, that we should just hold tight and wait, they, they should hang their hands in shame. Not one of them would put their hand up and admit the absolute barefaced negligence and neglect that they have enacted on every children in this country with a disability. And on, they may not want to talk to us, but we know that getting out on the streets makes a difference. We know that keeping the pressure makes a difference. So everyone, if you're affected by this, Come with us. If you're not affected by this, we need you to stand with us. If
3: you're not affected because by anybody, it directly, you know somebody who is. That's the that's, that's, exa- how that's exactly of it is out it. there That's how much of it is. Out there. Rebecca, it says Saturday afternoon, two to four. Where?
6: It's on the Grand Parade in Cork. Um, we will be doing um, just a small little march. Uh, the guards are very, very good. They they keep it. We have, we keep it short just for anyone with any mobility difficulties. Um, if you're not able to do the little walk, then you just stay on the Grand Parade. We won't be that long. Uh, it's exactly the same layout as the last one.
3: Okay, and it's Facebook has Fuss March Cork 2022. Twitter is at Fuss Ireland. Saturday afternoon, 2 to 4 at the Grand Parade. I'm going to say something to you which might sound a bit off the wall, Rebecca, but I was thinking about this as I knew you'd be coming on this morning. They said we could never have same-sex marriage in this country. We had. They said we could never change the stance of this country on abortion or divorce we did it they are saying that you just gotta suck it up if your child has a disability well damn and blast it that can be changed too
6: that's exactly it I mean we know we know that Ireland and Cork in particular is full of amazing activists and people people care so much like I mean, there this is a this is an open this isn't there's nothing controversial about giving a child with a disability the same chance as a child, you know, just giving them that support that they need to thrive. Okay. If we could just get the numbers and just get the support, then we we know we can push this. All we right. know we can get what we need. Rebecca, Saturday two to
3: four at the Grand Parade, the latest FOSS march. And if I could be accused of bias, I'll hold my hands up and say, biased. You ain't seen the half of it yet. 0818969696. Now, we're with Foot Solutions yet again today. 15 years they've been in Cork down there on Grand Parade. Free your feet, and the rest will follow. 150 euro gift card to give you every day this week. I have audio from an event that happened in the last 15 years, and you need to tell me what the event was, or tell me what the person is talking about. And you text a WhatsApp, that answer to 83 396 96' We'll pick a winner at the end of the show. So again, a voice you'll recognize, I suspect. What is he
7: talking about? I don't agree with that's the way to treat people. And if the Prime Minister himself wants to talk to me, I will crawl, swim, I will fly over there this weekend. Sit in front of him, I will drop on my knees and beg for those 400,000 people to just have fun. What is he talking about? I don't agree with that's the way to treat people. And if the prime minister himself wants to talk to me, I will crawl, swim, I will fly over there this weekend. Sit in front of him, I will drop on my knees and beg for those 400,000 people to just have fun.
3: Yeah, your name and the answer to oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. What's that event that happened in the last fifteen years? Or rather didn't happen. <laughs> There's a hint. Right. Now I don't have one of these and I don't know anybody who has, but it's been available for a number of years. The Irish passport card. Um Keen, you do, and it you it ran into a problem with it the other night, I think. Good morning. Ah, uh, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Hi. Now, explain what the ca- the card is. It's not an alternative to a passport, is it? You you carry it instead of a passport.
8: Yeah, yeah. I, I have I have an Irish passport as well, and uh, and um, obviously I don't want to lose that, so I have the passport card as well, and it's it's like a you you have it as well as a passport, and it is a passport. It's not a national identity card. It's a passport, but it's uh, it's it's not valid in every country, but it is valid in. The EU, the EEA, and the UK.
3: Right, right. And I checked it up on Citizens Advice this morning, and that's exactly our Citizens information. That's exactly what it says. So, what happened?
8: Well, so i'd I'd been i have been in Spain for the weekend. I'd been to a festival in Barcelona, and uh, I I went I went and got a, a a bus to girona Airport, which is kind of like an hour and a half of half away from there. It's the middle of nowhere, completely the middle of nowhere, and. Um, I got to the airport, I'd checked in online in advance, I'd filled out all my information, the passport card on the Ryanair app, I'd been through security, passport control, everything. And my flight was delayed by several hours. So, you know, I, I had work on Monday morning. I'm a, I'm a teacher and I can't I can't take time off, you know, here in London. So I, uh, so I, I got to the gate about midnight, just before midnight. And the, the woman at the boarding gate, she looked, she looked at the card, and then she took it to a colleague, and then they went to me and said, have you got proof of settlement? Proof of settlement? What proof does of settlement. The, what does that mean? Well, it means some kind of document to prove that to prove that I'm settled in the UK, but as an Irish citizen, I'm sure, sure you all know, I don't need that.
3: Free travel area. I've and never needed that. Common that. travel area, yeah.
8: yeah. Common travel area and, you know, rights assured to me with... With the uh, with the passport card, which is a passport.
3: But hold on, again. this is after you've been through passport control,
8: right? Yeah, this, this is the. I so, was the so the passport about to people the have
3: looked at your card, waved you through. This is at the yep. boarding gate before you go down the steps onto the plane.
8: Oh yeah, yeah, literally by the steps onto the plane. So what did you do? So the woman just said. We can't accept it without proof of settlement. And I said, legally, I'm allowed to get this. And they were just saying, no, no, the two, the two women and one of them, she gets the, the older one of the two. She got really rude with me. And she said, she said, I, I believe we're speaking the same language. You need proof of settlement. You can't get on that plane. And I, I said, and I said, well, have you got a manager I can speak to? And she said, yep, yeah, we'll bring you down to him in a minute. But she said, but the, the flight's closed for boarding anyway. Now, even if it's sorted out, you won't be allowed to get on it because it's, it's about to go. So she takes me back through security back to the front of the airport bit and you know gone midnight now and she shows me her manager and he while he's packing away to leave he gives me about 30 seconds of his time and basically tells me since Brexit I'm not allowed into the UK with my Irish passport card I need proof of settlement. Well, so uh, there I was you know sat, uh, Ian,
3: forgive me got, if I'm wrong here and and there have been times I've been called stupid and other things but the the man or woman at passport control had looked at your ticket, your boarding card and your passport and waved you through. Yep. Without mentioning Brexit for a minute. So yep, the Ryan, absolutely. you're saying that the Ryanair personnel took it upon themselves to bring Brexit into the conversation and deny you boarding. Absolutely, that's exactly what happened. And, and did you did you say to them at any point, well, actually that's passport control, waved me through.
8: Yeah. And yeah, their so response I've, I've... was? they just said you cannot enter the UK without proof of settlement since brexit okay so
3: you did you have to stay the night in Girona?
8: yeah the airport not the town mind I was just sat in the in the you know the front bit you know anyone could walk in right. luckily I'd had luckily I had my I'd had a portable phone charger on me but you know, God help me if I didn't
3: right so what
8: and I had to I booked a flight to Cork for seven in the morning. Right. And I flew into Cork with my passport. I went through security again, passport control again, got on the flight fine. And then I was in Cork about maybe maybe eight in the morning, half eight or something like that. And then I flew to Gatwick at ten past ten with the same passport card, with Ryanair, all fine.
3: Oh, God. So they wouldn't let you go from a Girona... To to London to go to work yep. the following day, but they would let you go from Cork to London on the very same passport card. The
8: very same passport card with the same
3: airline. Right. We we we're going to have to query this with them because that's absolutely bizarre, Keith.
8: Absolutely bizarre. It's terrible. It's it's
3: terrible.
8: Yeah. Obviously, you lost a day's work and all that stuff. Did you? a day's work, you know, the money I'd spent on on the flight, and, you know, I know this sounds really small, but I'd I've been, I've been through duty-free that first time, and I bought a couple of bottles of wine to bring home with me, and then I went back, they took me back through the security, obviously, and when I went to go through it again, after for my cork flight, they wouldn't let me take it through. Nice. I bought it there, and I had the receipt. Nice. Okay,
3: okay, mad, all right. Kian, we're trying to find out what the story is with Ryanair and the pa- and the uh, and the passport card and this notion that they can somehow decide that because you've been through passport control, they they somehow have another uh, turn on the law of the land. It's a weird one. We will definitely query, and it's one to watch. Kean, thank you very much. That's Kian Kinsella. He's in London. Uh, he's an Irish citizen. Um, that's weird. That yes. looking up the Citizens Information website. It just tells you the Irish passport card is a travel document that Irish citizens can use for certain travel instead of the standard passport book. It, it looks a bit like, like a driver's license actually. And it has a you can only get a passport card if you hold already hold an Irish passport. And you gotta do it online and all that. You can use it when you're travelling in the EU the European Economic Area, that includes Iceland and a few more places, and Switzerland. Now, you don't need a passport to enter the UK if you're travelling from Ireland, but airlines and carriers may want you to prove your identity when checking in. You should check with your airline or carrier to see what types of identification they accept for travel. Now, this is the bit that I can't get, and it's worth querying this with Ryanair. So maybe sometime around Christmas week we might get a result. <coughs> Excuse me, but he'd gone through passport control with his ticket, his boarding card, his passport card. He'd given this to the lady or gentleman at passport control and security. They checked it, and you—you've been through an airport. You, you, they check it and they look at it, and they—they they give it to you. Off you go. Have a nice day. He'd been through that. And then he goes up to the boarding gate, where he's supposed to go down onto the plane, and the Ryanair crew say, no, no, you you need proof of settlement. In other words, they're adding an additional layer at the boarding gate. What on earth? Anyway, let's come across that. Definitely one to watch. Uh, if you're, and they're blaming it on Brexit again, I would have thought. I've been dismissed as stupid on more than one occasion, but I would have thought that any implications of Brexit might have been better known to the passport control people, or am I being naive here? Thanks, Keen.
1: And Irish on Corks 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program.
5: Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning.
1: Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Hidden Hearing. Tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96FM.
3: What better way to learn a trade than to maybe do it in school and get the opportunity to to do it in school and for students who might want to go into the hair and beauty business in uh, in all well, heck, I mean, what an idea, down at uh, Pubble School in the Trinoda, they opened their own hair and beauty salon at the school Mary Donovan's the teacher down there in charge of leaving Applied. hi Mary
9: hi, how are you doing Peter
3: what an idea, where did it come from
9: um, well, I suppose in public school, you know, we want to prepare our students for the working world and give them every opportunity that we can. It's a growing industry face and body care, makeup artistry, nail art, the list goes on, hair care for men and women, and customer care. So there are other practical rooms in schools, this whole mech and engineering and art and so on. So why not hair and beauty? Mm.
3: So, who did it? Who, so, who brought yeah. the salon in?
9: Uh, well, I suppose initially when we had the idea, I, I went to our principal, Seamus O'Callaghan, and uh, put the idea to him with uh, Elma Kent, our deputy principal who works closely with LCA. Um, I think at first, we have to be honest, he was a bit surprised and uh, that we were suggesting a beauty salon in the school. But when he saw the benefits to the students, his words were go for it. I think he might have said stick to the budget, but I was gone at that stage. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's the bitch don't hear on um, out.
9: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, with a small budget, uh, we discussed the possibilities of what we could do. And of course, always when you want something done, you go to the caretakers. So Anthony McCarthy and uh, Dick Griffin, they're amazing Um so we had a lot of structural materials that we had used for covid um making classrooms in the p hall during that lockdowns and getting back on campus and back and forth and so on so we recycled um those materials and anthony and dick used these to um separate a really large classroom into two right and they worked on it then under uh, over the, the the summer break yeah School ta- um, school caretakers
3: then, that can make they can make a rocket out of a few bits of chipboard and a roll of tape, can't
9: they? Anything. <laughs> anything. Nothing is a problem. I ran after one of them there two weeks ago. Um, Anthony was looking for a clothesline put up. Um, so And it was done in half an hour. It was there for me, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, And then uh, under the trained eye of Margaret Anderson, um, she is uh, the teacher in the school, Margaret is a qualified beauty therapy teacher so uh, she owns her own Successful Salon and uh, she was just fantastic. She knew what furniture, she knew the equipment that we needed and I remember one day she came into the school all excited she had heard of a salon closing in Cork and they were selling off equipment. Right. So. She hightailed it off with Anthony and Dick and she came back with manicure tables, a chair for facials, lights, tables, mirrors, towels, um, even a skeleton. But that I took that, that now resides in the art room. A skeleton? A skeleton. What
3: was a skeleton doing in a beauty salon? Would you mind? (laughs)
9: Well, it's it's art I teach now, Peter. So... um, (laughs) Bone I structure, I suppose, it, might it, be part of bone it. Bone structure, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Margaret is just unreal. I don't know where we'd be without her. Uh, and, uh, the students just adore her. But you because, know, it takes everybody.
3: Yeah, yeah. And it, it seems to be just have been embedded with the students as well. Sarah Riley is a sixth year student down there. Hi, Sarah. You. How are you doing? Oh, Annie? you all right? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> uh, what's the salon like to work in?
10: Um, it's kind of weird because you're like in school but yet yeah, you're in a salon inside the school <laughs> yeah. but it's uh, it's lovely atmosphere and everything in there yeah
3: mm tell me about doing the leave and, the leave and search applied um, it's a different kind of leave and search. is this kind of to prepare you for the world of work and are you interested in being a therapy, beauty therapist or hairdresser like this
10: yeah uh, that's what I'm going into do now after after I finish the leave and search.
3: <laughs> I see I see, yeah.
10: see.
3: You're gonna go. You're gonna. So you're not sitting even there now, no? Uh yeah, I am actually.
10: Oh, okay. Are you? Yeah.
3: Okay. So good luck. Lo- how did it? How did it go yesterday?
10: Um, it was grand. It's fine. <laughs> good,
3: good luck to you, guys. You've been up on your mind now without, without talking to fellas on the radio. But <laughs> is I'm so good luck with it with with that, and good luck with the studies of the hairdressing and beauty, um, Sarah. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I leave it with you. I'm jumping around here from person to person. A few people get it now. Oh, yeah, I remembered this woman. I remember you, Kathleen Hurley Mullins from Operation. Transport, uh, transformation, I remember you Transformation, I don't, I don't, good morning yeah. PJ we, we, How are we, you? We, we talked at the time How are you doing these days?
11: I'm not too bad at all now, not too bad I was actually just thinking there I should say I'm sitting in lovely sunny you but unfortunately we've a little drizzled this morning but I'd say we'll have a great day before it's out, anyway.
3: Well, the forecast So you'll for have to later come later is, down and come paddling oh, at least. I love the place. <laughs> I, lo- I love y'all. I'm get down there during the. But you, you were involved now. You, you cut the tape on the opening of yes. this salon.
11: Well, my big job on the day was just to cut the tape. And I must admit, what a credit is due to the school down in y'all, you know, to take such initiative to start up a course like this. You know, we've had metalwork, woodwork for years, all the alternatives. But now they're just going that bit further and bringing hair and beauty into it. Something, I suppose, that's preparing people for life, which is great to see. And on the day down there, I met such wonderful, young, ambitious people. They're a credit to the town, you know? Yeah, people like Sarah. And it's great to see it. Really, really great to see it. And it's, it's a fantastic service now for the kids, you know, and in the school. And Margaret Anderson is the beautician down there, and she's doing an amazing job. So, you know, there's great, 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 great credit due to everyone involved. Yeah. And it really looks amazing. So that was my big job on the day, PJ, was to cut the tape and to admire the facilities.
3: Yeah, Sarah, um, do you want to wish good luck to all of your, your classmates going through the, the, the leaving and the juniors?
10: Yeah, good luck to everyone sitting their exams. <laughs>
3: how, how many of you got? What's today now?
10: Um, I have Spanish in the
3: afternoon now today. Okay. Uh, Yeah. And how many more have you got left after that? Um,
10: I think five. (laughs)
3: Right. You know what, you go and and get the best out, do the best you can. And Spanish? Yep. Now, wouldn't that be a nice handy job now, having your own uh, beauty salon in Benidorm or Alicante (laughs) or some mad place like that, wouldn't it?
10: Yeah, that'd be
3: lovely. <laughs> you can dream, girl. You can dream. All right. Uh, Sarah Riley, good luck to you. Kathleen, Harley Mullins, thank you. And Mary Donovan, who's the teacher in charge of the Leaving Certified at uh, Pubble School of Trinogia in Yall, where they have opened their own hair salon. Would you believe? That's progress. That's practical education. More of that, please.
1: Cork loves the arts
0: We do too
1: That's why we bring you The Arts House
0: Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM
6: Hi, it's Elmery Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork And help you plan some great nights out of the theatre Or see the latest films on release Catch a brilliant music gig Or find the perfect book to
0: get stuck into The Arts House Sunday
6: mornings 8 to 10 With Griffin's Potatoes
1: Straight from our soil to your table Griffin's Potatoes are simply nutritious and delicious
0: Courts 96FM The lines are live
1: And we're ready to talk Call 0818 96 96 96
0: Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96
1: Email opinion at 96FM.ie
0: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on
1: Cork's 96FM
0: Now we had a couple of messages in with regard to uh,
3: Mary Crilly and the honour being bestowed upon her this afternoon of Freedom of the City Now we had Mary on at the very start of the show and uh, she was talking about how you know 40 years ago people didn't talk like they do now and even 30 years ago and 20 years ago and 10 years ago people didn't talk uh, like they do now And she was, you know, saying how she was complimenting the program here and she was very kind to me personally about, you know, how I've given people the opportunity to talk. Well, that's what we do. That's what this program is about. And that's why the the signature tune says, can we just talk? We're always here. Um, So deserved for Mary, says this call without airtime, PJ, many changes might not have happened. Uh, made changes and well done. Thank you for that. But it's 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 Mary's been the change maker and her team at the Sexual Violence Centre. And here's one we got. And uh, I I hope this person's okay because uh, a discussion like we had this morning, or talking about. Mary and her work and talking about the the kind of things that she deals with can trigger memories and I I hope that you're okay, Uh, whoever you are we have your details obviously Um, I'm not originally from Ireland, I grew up in another country, when I was 15 I was raped by an ex-boyfriend I had previously stepped with him so when I told my mum instead of taking me seriously she thought I was just being vindictive because he'd broken up with me Having a support like that, I'm assuming Mary, would have been amazing. Uh, Read it out. Please read this out. Just don't give my name. Thanks for that. I hope you're okay. If you do need help, there's a lot of ways you can get it. And there's a lot more help out there than there was five years ago. Ten years ago. Let alone 40 years ago. Uh, Mary's Centre is available on a number of different platforms. It's the Cork Sexual Violence Centre. Info at sexualviolence.ie Free phone. 1-800-496-496 one 496 somebody will take your call right now you can text 087-15-333-93. 087-15-333-93 and I would suggest to the person who sent us in that message if you are feeling a bit overwhelmed or a bit triggered by the memory of what you shared with us this morning I'd suggest a call to Mary's centre right now because they will talk to you right now it doesn't matter how long ago this happened or who he was or where it happened or whatever your mum said to you then Um, they'll talk to you right now if you need it uh, 1-800-496-496 uh, Thomas says the road from Kinsale Road roundabout to Balling there's some wood in the centre of the road very dangerous if you hit it at speed and people are changing direction and swerving to avoid it. Uh, Be careful out there. Visibility, thankfully, is improving now, but it's a bit foggy still in a few places. Alright, 0818 96 96 96. Now, have you ever lost a pet? I know I have. Um, We've lost a few, really. (laughs) We've always had dogs and cats in the house. Um, We presently have two of each. But we've always... And when you have pets, there comes the day when you're going to lose them. And some will affect you more than others. I lost an old pal back in 2013, uh, and I still miss him. His name was Herbie, and he was 12. And I still miss him to this day, and I brought him down to the vet, and the vet did the only kind thing that the vet was able to do. And I never, I, don't, I to this day, when I think about it, you know, and, and I have two dogs and two cats now and one of those dogs uh, is just a big old fool but if anything ever happens to him I won't be worth twopence. no, to any of them but I won't be worth sixpence if anything happens to, to Harry for example um, and that's a perfectly normal human emotion and one great thing about social media is people share now they share a picture of their dog or their cat Um, after they've gone or when they are gone down for that final visit to the vet or they're having that last day before going to the vet. They share pictures and and, and they share grief. And yes, I'm using that word, grief, uh, because it is grief and it is a form of bereavement. And you can laugh, and I'm sure somebody is laughing right now. You can laugh. If you're laughing, And me saying it's a form of bereavement, then you've never had a dog or you've never had a cat that you loved. I would challenge on that one. (coughs) Anne-Marie Troy um, is a canine behaviour practitioner, but also a pet bereavement counsellor. And you actually set up a service, Anne-Marie, to help people through that awfully difficult time. Good morning.
11: Good
12: morning. How are you?
3: I'm very well, thank you. Um, I see more and more of it on social media. People sharing the last picture of their dog or the last little video of their run in the field or on the beach. And I think we've come to accept now that losing your pet is losing a member of the family.
12: It absolutely is. And how fantastic that we can finally acknowledge that and we can share our love for that animal on social media and with other people and feel supported.
3: Yeah. We got so much closer to our pets during lockdown. But we always were, I think. I mean, you I mentioned that that poor old fool. He was, he was 12 and a half. Um, Harry, or um, Herbie. And um, I, I still miss him to this day. I Facebook throws up the memory of the day I took him to the vet every year. Yeah. And I can still see him and still remember him. And I I think you'd be aegis, but I'm not, because, you know, we form relationships with these creatures.
10: We do,
12: absolutely. And as you said, they are family members. Uh, Losing an animal, be it a dog, a cat, a bird, a mouse, can be absolutely harrowing. They are our constant companions. They give us unconditional love. They are our daily routine, and they're also witnesses to our lives. So, losing them, it's just devastating. Absolutely devastating.
3: Is it dogs more so, Anne-Marie? Is there a kind of a scale?
12: Um, interestingly, a survey done in 2019, I believe, by the Association of Pet Ownership, uh, told us that 45% of the population own dogs and 38% have cats. Now, like I said, that was reviewed in 2019, but in 2020 um, a survey said that there's actually 455,000 pet dogs in this country. Now that's not including or counting the COVID dogs, the puppies and dogs that were got over the COVID period. Mm. So there are so many of us have animals and yet for so long, our grief wasn't acknowledged.
3: Yeah, because particularly if it's sudden, it can be debilitating. It, you, it can mess you up for several days.
12: It can, it can, it can. Sure, look, there. There are so many reasons why why we lose an animal. In my work in canine behaviour, you know, pet bereavement is an important part of that work because we are dealing with people who lose dogs for a variety of reasons, not just the one we would initially think of.
3: Old age. So,
12: yeah, yeah, or death. I mean, there, there's so many other reasons. And, you know, I just, I think for so long, society seems to have dictated our grief around animal loss. You know, what it should look like, the value of it, even how long it should last. Um, our grief has often been compared to other griefs. And has been kind of diminished. And I find it so heartbreaking when people call me. And within the first couple of sentences, they're apologizing. And they're asking, am I being stupid? Am I being silly? Mm. Um, They feel such shame and guilt because they're comparing their grief to other grief that goes on in the world.
3: They're telling themselves, "Ah, it's only a dog.
12: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I would say to that is yes. There are terrible things going on in the world around us. But in your world, the worst has just happened too. And you should be acknowledged and you should be supported.
3: Yeah. You know, take something like, yeah, took the dog to the vet, did what needed to be done. The dog was grateful to you in the end because you relieved them of their pain.
10: Yes, it's the
12: last act of kindness.
3: But then you come down the following morning... Yes, and that face isn't there,
12: yeah yeah, it's just that's that's the harrowing thing it's It's that emptiness people describe the emptiness, it's just oh it's 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 all about you know it's not like people say time is a great healer, it's not that time is a great healer, it's what we do in that time, you know we really need to grieve well. Uh, so that you can find a new normal. And with that, the intense pain lessens and we can start to remember then the happy memories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We really, we can't can't feel what we don't feel and that's the truth of it.
3: Do you think we brush, well, I certainly wouldn't in my own position, always having animals in the house, but do you think there's a tendency in society to brush it off? Your dog died and you want a day off work. Are you joking me?
12: That's exactly where it comes from. It comes from society. You know, is it because some people have never genuinely experienced a strong bond with an animal so they don't understand? Or is it, you know, belief systems we were brought up with? But that's exactly what happens. It's it's brushed off. It's, oh, my God, are you still going on about that? That was three days ago. Uh, You've just lost a family member.
3: Yeah, it's it's funny actually. I mean, like we do we go through psychologically? We, we there's so much study done on the the psycholo- psychology of grief and the is it six or seven stages? Do we go through those even in a micro a micro version with an animal?
12: It, okay. Oh well, look, grief, grief is grief. Grief is unique. It's individual to you whatever your experience of grief is it's it's unique and it's individual to you so pet pet grief is in there it's grief it's real mm. so this the, the, the stage is yes look you know we kind of all know the stages the shock the denial pain guilt anger depression loneliness but it's not linear it, it's not linear we some of us may experience some of them we may bounce back and forth throughout the stages You know, our grief is unique. You and I may share a very similar experience of the loss of our dog. But how we feel about it and how we deal with it is going to be completely unique to you and unique to
3: me. And there's a difference too, of course, if if an animal has reached the end of their natural life and that last act of kindness is a trip to the vet. But if they went out on the road and got knocked down by a car... Yes. You have that to contend with as well.
2: Yes. Almost blaming
3: yourself. God, why did I not watch the door?
12: Absolutely. Our grief involves our brain and our heart. And our brain searches for reasoning. You know, we're always, what if? What if I did this? What if I did that? But I would ask people to consider what even. So even though you did your best in that situation, even though you took great care of your dog, even though you worked on the information you had at the time, even though you had to let him out to the toilet. You know, guilt Guilt implies, the guilt we feel is horrendous, but guilt implies an intention to do harm. I and mean, in no way did anyone intend harm to come to their pet. Mm. Our, our emotions, they just take over and they create this narrative around the, the story of, of the event that happened.
3: Yeah. I'm thinking now in terms, and of someone who maybe is going through this right now, and maybe yeah. yesterday might be when their, their dog yeah. went over Rainbow Bridge, and today they have no desire whatsoever to go for a of walk. Of course.
12: Of course. Perfectly understand. But right. Yeah. Or
3: they'll, when, they might go for their walk, and, and someone will say, Oh, Janie, where's, where's Fido? Where's Rover? And then you have to tell the whole story again. These are all very real forms of grief. And you are entitled to grief.
12: Absolutely. And remember, we, we are different types of grievers. Um, there's the practical grievers who, who try to keep themselves busy. And there's the heart grievers who need to work through their emotions and express their feelings. You know, in in, in relation to, you know, someone who is grieving right now, you know, please know, that you are not being stupid, you are not being too much, do not feel shame or guilt for your feelings of loss and know that what you are feeling is normal. I would ask people to please be kind to themselves, take care of themselves, but importantly, surround yourself with people who understand or reach out so you're not alone. Yeah. Um, I would also like, on that, I would like to you know, give a few points to people who don't know how to support people who are going through pet loss. Yes. You know, there's a couple of very important points there, and people do struggle. We do, when, when we don't understand, we struggle to know what to say. So, from my conversations with bereaved people, the points that keep coming up for them, so please don't say it was just a dog. Please don't suggest that they replace their friends with another It is such a personal, individual decision whether someone chooses or not to get another animal. But most importantly, please ask about the animal they've just lost. The grieving person would really like to talk about them. And, you know, it's human nature that we avoid these things because we don't want to upset the person. Mm. But that's one of the things that keeps coming up in calls the bereaved person feels that other people have moved on and they can't talk about their dog.
3: Mm. Or or rather that they're not allowed to talk about their dog because it was just a dog. Yes. <laughs> talk to me about your own services, um, Anne-Marie, at restingpets.ie, because you do. You offer introductory counselling and, and I
12: do. sessions for people. I do. I do. Yes, I was very lucky to have been introduced to Eamon Cody, who started Resting Pets. Uh, just over a year ago, um, I mean, Eamon sees the devastation on a daily basis. He really does. And and he he just kind of felt helpless, and he, he wanted to provide a resource for people to reach out to. So that's how, how we connected. Um, yeah, so I... Uh, my service is available to customers of Resting Pets, but I am also starting my my own business. I will have a new website shortly. And I have details if anyone would like to contact me, if anyone is struggling. Hmm.
3: Is it is it expensive?
12: Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not. And, you know, everything is is on an individual basis. It's not.
3: Restingpets.ie, and they can find you through there. And when you have your own a website set up and running, come back to us because I think you're you're providing okay. an important service. Can I share with you, uh, Anne-Marie, the, the words of a very kind old vet. Yes. Uh, he's no longer with us now, but he, he once had to do that horrible job for yeah. for a, a, a pal of mine and um, it was an unfortunate situation, we won't go into it, but he said to me you know that, that pain that you have right now? Uh-huh. I said, yeah, he said, that is the little pinch he took from your heart so he'd remember your smell.
12: <sighs> that's very good. Yep. Yeah, that's very good, yes, yes. And on that note, it's, you know, it's very important to remember our vets. Our, our vets, they just have such good, a difficult job. Yep. You know, they, they have to do this day yeah. in, day out, and, and how it affects them. Yeah. You know, so it's it's very important to be kind to your vet.
3: Yeah, they yeah. have a tough job. They do, and sometimes they have to break very bad news. Uh, listen, Anne-Marie, thank you very much for being with us today. That's Anne-Marie Troy. Um, bereavement counselling for the loss of a pet. It's a real thing. Don't knock it. Don't ever knock it. My son still isn't over his cat being savaged. He's still in the habit of leaving the door open. Still talks about the cat all the time. And we're all devastated. Yeah, and that, that'll stay That'll stay The the, the bead that I mentioned a few minutes ago Still on a winter's night When the fire is lighting and the telly's on uh, I'm waiting for the snore To come from behind the couch Because the devil used to snore Used to snore like a euphonium And I still miss that
0: Can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396
3: On courts 96 FM. They're staying with animals, but on a totally different line, shall we say. Professor Donna Berry joins me from Tagashk. Donna, good morning. Uh, you there? Yeah, I'm here. You? Tinder for Cows... Matchmaking for beasts. What are
5: you at down there? Well, geez, it's exactly what it says on the tin. On the tin <laughs> PJ, it's the Tinder, but it's for cows. Now it doesn't have the seventy-five million users that that Tinder has, but it has around a quarter of the Irish dairy farmers that are actually using this facility. And as I said, um, it essentially is Tinder. Um, so what it's doing is that
1: it's that time of the year.
5: Dairy farmers have, you know, they have their, their females on their herd and they want to match the individual bulls to those to best supplement, I think, the the, the characteristics of that particular cow. And this just does it. It's a, it's a computer-based app and it does all the amazing for them. Because back in the day, you just let
3: the bull loose and the bull did what bulls do. But we're a bit more sophisticated
5: now, aren't we? We are, we are, and I, 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 it's probably is a little different to, to Tinder now. I'm not a Tinder user myself, but I know that it, it, it only finds your, your mate in a geographical location. But as you said, we're so advanced now in, in agriculture is that we have what we call artificial insemination. So AI would be a term that's often thrown around, and that's artificial intelligence. But there's bulls where we freeze their semen. So rather than trying to find a bull, like you said, in the locality, what you can do is find the best bulls from anywhere in the world, import the semen, and you use that then to impregnate your cow.
3: Right. So how do you set yourself up? You have, you have cattle,
5: and Tagusk have access to bulls. How does it work? Right, so it's it's all run off of a centralised database, a national database. Like, and we're well, one of the only uh, countries in the world that would have a facility like this. It's run by the Irish Cattle Breeding Federation. Right, they have the data of all the farmers in the country. So, if you're a dairy farmer, you can log on to the system, of which they they routinely do. Look at all their cows. And then you can look at all the available bulls. It's not the bulls that Chagas has. Chagas doesn't actually have any bulls. But they're from all the companies in the world, all the bulls and all their individual characteristics. You can find the individual bulls that suit you. We'd recommend you use more than one bull, not like the olden days herds that got bigger, to reduce your risk. You use multiple bulls, put it into the program, and it does all the matchmaking for you.
3: Now, I take it the bull doesn't turn up at the farm <laughs> gate, don't open his best bib and tucker with a flower in his lapel, No.
5: No, no, so it's this it's artificial insemination. So so the data then, once the once the farmer is happy with her or his uh, choices, they can get uploaded to the companies who sell the semen, and they're the guys that, that come. They don't hang their, their trousers on a nail on, on the crush, but they inseminate the cow, <laughs> put the semen into the cow, and it's all recorded then. So then when the farmer in you know, in, in three months' time, he or she will have a report of what cow got what bull and when do you expect that calf to be born? It's, it's, it's just completely digitalized agriculture and, you know, it's where we're moving at a, at a human level so it's exactly the same in agriculture.
3: God, the romance has gone out of it though, isn't it? <laughs> <at all? laughs> For sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, all jokes aside though, there's big money in, in cattle breeding and careful cattle breeding.
5: Uh, yeah, completely, right? Um, so around half the gains we would see over the past few decades and it could be chickens, uh, whatever, around half the gains that we see is due to breeding, right? So breeding is the foundations, it's just like a house it's the foundations of, of, of performance. Now, we start talking about productivity, where we have been talking about here to four is that farmers were advised to increase production based on the, uh, the government agendas, now we see a slight change in that, more towards the environment, and farmers are now reacting to that, like, like you would expect and they're now breeding for more environmentally efficient animals.
3: Now mm. can this development, I mean the actual breeding industry is very lucrative the ai very lucrative and all that but can can you monetize this this development this this technology
5: you, you can in a way, but like we're, we're paid by the taxpayer at the end of the day and through levies on the individual farmers. So it's only natural that you would provide this service because it is for the betterment of society via the farmers and their food production. Right? So um, as, as we would have said, it does reduce the environmental footprint. Breeding in dairy, just take dairy, for example, and just take breeding, right? Mm. It's only one of the technologies we're, we're working on. We have reduced the carbon footprint of milk production by 14% over the past 20 years. Right now, have we done it, that? We have. We have done it by increasing productivity while maintaining the cow size. So you're increasing production for uh, the the same carbon footprint. Right at a national level, of course, our carbon is increasing because we're increasing our cow size. But our cows are becoming more more efficient. I
3: see. It's. I tell you, technology is gone way ahead of itself now. So we now decide. I really. I wonder, could humans benefit from this down the road? Could, could consumers? Could humans benefit from it? Down the well,
5: take out the middleman.
3: Yeah. It doesn't yeah. even cost you dinner. Do you know what I mean?
5: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is a little bit different because so, 78% of users on Tinder apparently are, are men, but 100% of users on this system are female, so it's complete reversal.
3: <laughs> Listen, good luck with it. Great to hear that kind of technology happening only down the road from us in Targus. That's Professor Donna Berry. The things going on in the world, you wouldn't know what they are. Listen, on pets, I lost my husband. Thank you, Donna. I lost my husband and his dog used to be in the hall looking up at the picture of him, waiting for a walk. So I took him for the walk. Now, sadly, the dog is gone too. And it all comes together for me. When I think of one, I think of the other. You never really get over the loss of your pet. No, you don't. You sure don't. Oh, 0818 96 96 96. I need to do this again. Uh, our Foot Solutions Audio... Um, people struggling with it a little bit today. Do it next.
0: Access All Areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife
1: on Leaside.
0: Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment.
5: Irish grunge legends Curb Dog come to Cork in October to celebrate the 25th anniversary of their classic album On The Turn. They'll be ably assisted on the night by FIFA Records noise merchants Clubber Lang with tickets on sale from cypressavenue.ie. Access All Areas. David Keenan is set to perform a very special show at the bars of Hilty this Friday night ahead of a show with David Gray the following evening at Musgrave Park. It's something of a rare treat with tickets on sale now from the venue.
0: Access All
5: Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at
0: 96fm.ie Access all areas.
1: With Harvey Norman and JBL. Your specialists in sound this summer.
0: On Cork's 96FM.
3: Yeah, our friends at Foot Solutions back with us on the Opinion Line this week. 15 years they've been in Cork. And came right through the pandemic and right through all that. And come out the other side with a smile on their face. And they're with us all this week to celebrate. Free your feet and the rest will follow. And that's... I tell you, I'm... I went in there myself a couple of years ago because I was in trouble. My feet came at me. I got a thing. If you've ever had it, if you have ever had it, you can have it from 8 to 80. I got a thing called plantar fasciitis. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I got it and I was knackered from it. Um, you, you get up in the morning and you can't walk. You can't. You're hobbling across the bathroom and... You're hobbling out, and it takes a few minutes for your feet to settle down. It's it's awful. And I'd been trying ice, and I was trying this and trying that and the other. And in sheer desperation, I wandered into Foot Solutions. I said, lads, can you do anything for this? And I'm not joking you. I walked out an hour later feeling better. Now, there was a bit more to it, obviously, than dealing with it. But I walked out an hour later feeling better. They know what they're at in there, so they do and 15 years they've been doing it and I have a gift card to give you every day now we've got an event from the past 15 years and you'll know the voice here okay and I want you to tell me what he's talking about alright, what is he talking about uh, text or whatsapp your answer and your name to 083 396 96 96 and we'll pick a winner before the end of the show
7: what is he talking about I don't agree with that's the way to treat people And if the Prime Minister himself wants to talk to me, I will crawl, swim, I will fly over there this weekend. Sit in front of him, I will drop on my knees and beg for those 400,000 people to just have fun. You'll know the voice, but what's he talking about? I don't agree with that's the way to treat people. And if the Prime Minister himself wants to talk to me, I will crawl, swim, I will fly over there this weekend. Sit in front of him, I will drop on my knees and beg for those 400,000 people to just have fun. The
3: answer and your name, 083-396-9696. I watched a video uh, on YouTube the other night of the launch of the Middleton Hub. And East Cork has had a real problem with suicide. And you can say that straight out without fear of contradiction. For as long as I'm doing this job and the job I did before it, East Cork has always had a huge problem with suicide, as a result of which suicide awareness is really high and really strong in East Cork. And people come together all the time to try to prevent, to try to raise awareness, to try to get the powers that be to talk about it, because the powers that be don't often want to talk about it. And when they do want to talk about it, they want to deny it it sometimes. So the hub has been set up, the Middleton Hub, and it was launched in the last while. Bunny O'Riordan, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Uh, you had uh, Donalogue launched it for you or was there at, at the launch. And I've spoken many times to, to Connor uh, about suicide and mental health and, and, and East Cork's problem with it And over the years. So where did the idea come from to set up the hub?
14: Well, I suppose we originally started PJ's as the Middleton Bike Project. And that actually came as a result of my own son's suicide. And in that process, myself and a group of guys, we got together and we restored his motorbike. So that was the the initial stages of it. And that was some four years ago. So myself and the board, we have a board below there and board of management. And we discuss things and we reflect, uh, I suppose, quite deeply on a lot of the events that are happening locally. And we decided we needed really to begin to streamline what we were doing into, into a particular area directed specifically at suicide and where could we best offer support along the way. So that's where we began to tease it out in the last year. And, and eventually we came up with something that we believe could actually help our community, though, in East Cork and Middleton, you know. Mm. Now, um,
3: if a person's in a difficult place, be they a family member, be they someone. Uh-huh in a crisis, what they need, it's a vast, vast sort of canvas of what they need, isn't it? Some people just need a coffee and a chat.
14: Exactly. Others need professional help. Can you do yeah, that on the fair I suppose maybe that's not what we're starting out to do, PJ. Our thing is really is, I'm going to say, where people do find themselves maybe slipping and sliding in, in the areas of mental health, and they want that immediate support with out getting into the major services at that point if that can be you know if we can stop the slipping and sliding at that point yeah. then people come down and they talk with us we're not actually a mental health service so to speak we're a community group and I suppose it's our care in the community and that that's where we came from with this so we know that there's other services in existence and we're not trying to step into that area at all but we know that there's an area that when people are beginning to get low where did they go at that point, do you know? So that was one of the reasons we actually opened the door. So, which is why we don't ask anybody any information, personal information other than their first name. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when they come in through the door, nobody's challenged with any difficult uh, questions or anything of that nature. We created a safe zone and a safe space where people can open up and talk at their own pace. And we find that that's beneficial to a lot of the people that come in through our doors. Where do you operate from? Sorry, PJ, I missed that. Where do you operate? Hello. Sorry, we're down in Middleton. We're on the the Bailick Road in Middleton. And we have literally a drop-in centre. So with with the centre, it is a matter of just showing up. And you don't have to make an appointment. You don't need a referral. And it's the most amazing place with the most amazing magic that happens in there. You know, other areas that we go in, in terms of suicide support, we're talking about the people that are actually left behind. So we actually operate a suicide bereavement support group as well, and that runs every second uh, Thursday night. The, 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 every second uh, Thursday night at 7:30 p.m. And one of the other things we do then is an initiative called the the Cuddle Project, where we actually work it as a basis of suicide pre-intervention in terms of. Just letting people in the community know that we're there and we do care, you know, and everybody is welcome.
3: You've you've been putting up the teddy bears. You know, you're not the first to do that, but you're doing it big time. Correct.
14: This came, this initiative actually came from a man called Mick Ryan down in Wexford. And Mick had actually lost his own son a number of years back as well. So he actually developed that initiative and we worked with him and we have permission from Mick and we work with them to use it here in Cork, and we're hoping to be able to spread that throughout Cork County. So it, it kind of encourages people, I suppose, to be aware, to just to be aware. And that's all we're trying to do with this initiative, is to increase awareness about the care that there is in the community for people who suffer with mental health and emotional difficulties. <clears throat> Sorry.
3: Okay So if anybody wants to contact uh, the hub and maybe find out more about your services or maybe drop in, like when is it open all the what, what our opening hours are there?
14: Okay, so we're, we're open three evenings a week, we're open at 6: uh, every uh, Monday, Wednesday and Friday evening. and so just to pop down, we're on Facebook, we're on the website, so we have our own website as well www.thehub.ie and we're also contactable on 085 1146 407 Give me that number again 1146 Yeah it's 085 1146 407 Okay we will read that one out and
3: the the website then is the Correct okay. So the midside the middleton hub.ie. I Okay Bonnie, I mentioned before I brought you on that East Cork has had a real problem over the years. Has anyone gotten to grips with with why?
14: I don't know, PJ. I suppose it's not an area that that I would feel qualified to even discuss other than my own personal experience. Mm. Um, My personal experience being that I don't believe there is any one cause. I don't believe that there's any one solution. And, and I suppose maybe along the way, all we can do is, is to be there for people, you know. And maybe if we treat people as individuals, we have a better and a greater opportunity to get through. And maybe with that, to be able to engage with the suffering that's out there, you know. So maybe what we're trying to do in that is to ease the suffering that is around the place, you know. Create that safe space mm-hmm. where people don't have to justify their existence and they don't have to justify anything, you know. Okay. Bonnie. It's, it's, it's maybe something that we, we offer a little bit of compassion. We offer empathy. Um, but I suppose to, to get to the root cause of it, I think that's that's something that's never going to happen, PJ, to be perfectly honest. Yeah.
3: Unfortunately, probably not. Bonnie, thank you very much. And good luck to everybody involved at the Middleton Hub, the middletonhub.com. When we first talked about PDA on the opinion line, pathological demand avoidance. I remember speaking to a parent who was very distressed about her child's behaviour and very distressed about the way their child was expressing themselves and and, and didn't know what to do and was looking for help. Now, Christine Duff has done a very successful TED Talk on living with PDA. Uh, Your boy, Christine, how, how old is he now? Good morning.
15: Good morning, PJ. Um, He is 12 years old now, yeah, so thank you for having me on to discuss this well-needed topic. And
3: he was about eight when you started noticing, I think. Um, When I spoke to, as I said, a very distressed woman, she Mm -hmm. kind of said, look, she said, I don't understand it. Even asking him to get a bottle of milk out of the fridge can result in a meltdown.
15: Absolutely. Um, Now, uh, we were... We were about four. He, my little guy was about three or four when I started noticing he was he was much younger than eight. But um, what I've learned about it is that, first of all, I suppose for the listeners listening, to explain it again, it's the anxiety-driven need to always feel in control. So if you can imagine someone that needs to feel safe, they need to feel protected, their body is on high alert the whole time, so they need to do absolutely everything to not feel that way, but it's a constant feeling. So if you can bring it back to the feelings, if you have someone like your mom or your dad or whoever saying, you know, something as simple as, can you get the milk? What they're hearing is a demand and a threat. So they're going to go into protective mode, which will be either to lash out, to have, you know, a meltdown or a tantrum or do whatever it is they need to do to feel safe and feel protected. So from the outside looking in, you're looking at a distressed Child having a a tantrum, but from their world and their perspective, they're feeling threatened and they need to feel safe and they need to do what it is to protect them. So that's then where the understanding of how can this actually work so that when you do ask them a question, it's going to flow nicely. And they will get the item that you asked them to get or they will do what it is you've asked them to do because it could be something as simple as, I know when uh, my little guy was younger, one thing in particular was putting on a jacket in school, especially when it rained. So if I had said to him, put on your jacket, it's raining, then I'm demanding he put it on. Whereas if I indirectly looked outside and said, oh, I'm going to put on my jacket so I stay dry and I'm going to feel lovely and cosy on my day to day, I'm indirectly saying what I'm doing, but in the oh, I would assume and um, with the PDA brain and from experience, the way they filter that then is they'll do it because it's seen to be safe, but they're not being told to do it. Does that make sense?
3: It does. This is part of the autism spectrum, of course. God, there's so many things on that blasted spectrum. <laughs> mm-hmm.
15: Oh, PJ, I know. And that's the thing, I, I was after speaking to Helen um, Evans, she's the CEO in the PGA Society in the UK, yes. and she's a very insightful woman. And um, she gave me some information. She herself said that some autistic people do not like the PGA profile term. Some people identify with just the PGA profile term. So it's very much, it's individual. There's a lot of research being done. There's, you know, the research does remain limited, but there is evidence that the term PGA is useful to flag a range of co-occurring difficulties for people with or without autism.
3: Now, you you made the point in your TED Talk, and I smiled because I I could identify with some of the the, the things you were saying. Mm -hmm. We all know people whose behaviour is a bit strange and like to be in control of a situation, and we just dismiss them. (laughs) Absolutely.
15: Yeah, we do... And you probably find, you know, I would, I would say, you know, for your generation, my parents' generation, there was no such thing as getting a diagnosis or labels. And, you know, we all have that uncle or that aunt oh, or that yeah. cousin, you're going, actually, they're odd. They're just odd and grumpy or, you know, they're very controlling. But if you step back and kind of look at it and, and you look at it from a different angle, it's like, oh, wow, maybe they're controlling because they have a PDA profile and they're doing what they can to keep themselves feel safe. Yeah. You know, it's, It
3: seems so simple. I I do do know know. someone actually, Christine, who Mm -hmm. it's not that they need to be in charge of a situation. They're more comfortable in charge. So those around them who know them and love them go, just do it your way. We'll fall in. Yeah, just let them out. Yeah. 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 They're doing it anyway. You know, it's it's (laughs) a strange, it's a strange. You have got uh, a a workshop coming up this weekend
15: yes on Sunday in the airport hotel Um, it's on from 11 until 2 and the tickets are only available on Eventbrite so there's a few tickets left but it's basically just going to be a three hour workshop all this um, the problems the solutions the strategies skills and it's just going to be a very kind of relaxed intimate sort of workshop where people are going to find answers because it can be a very distressing lonely road like that when you're when you're distracted are trying to figure out, God, what can I do to help the person in my life that has PGA, whether it be a child or an adult or a teenager. Yeah.
3: And, they and they don't,
15: they don't know, even know I'm, they have it. Well, that's it exactly. And it's to identify it. And when you realise the skills and the strategies, they seem so basic, but it's almost like you're learning a new language. And when you do implement them, you don't have the stress, you don't have the walking on eggshell feeling, you know, you don't have the gentleman, high personality, worry, you, you can go about your day with very, very minimal reactions to meltdowns and tantrums.
3: Yeah, because it can, it can actually be adapted. You, you can't fix it, but you can mm-hmm. adapt no. life to work with it. Christine, thank you. Christine Duff, um, I remember this came up on the show months, m- months and months ago, very distracted. People bringing ringing up saying, maybe that explains my son or my daughter's meltdowns. At the slightest thing, well, maybe it does. Um, You'll find that Eventbrite Solutions for Pathological Demand Avoidance by Christine Duff. It's at the International Hotel, the Cork Airport Business Park. There's a charge on the event. Uh, but tickets are still available for that. Thank you, Christine. 0818 96 96 96.
0: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. Hear the full show
1: on our app by podcast or on 96FM.ie.
0: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96.
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
0: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: On Cork's 96FM.
3: Not entirely sure what we can do for this listener, but if you can help then maybe you can sort them out. Ted was on to us. Ted is a GAA season ticket holder and wants to go to Belfast for the Cork Antrim match Um, and is wondering, would anybody give him a lift? he's happy to share the cost of petrol my goodness, still be careful what you wish for there now Ted, cost of petrol you'd nearly fly up there cheaper, but I know what you mean you want to get there um, Season is a season ticket holder, wants to go to the Gargant and match, and is anybody going, would they have space in the car uh, if anybody can help Ted, then contact us at 083 396 9696, also Brendan, uh, just wanted to help somebody in Middleton speaking of petrol um, Brendan's son was on his way to start his leaving cert and as you can imagine you'd have enough on your mind to go out the door to start your leaving cert of a Wednesday morning went to get some petrol and couldn't find his card to pay imagine being caught like that in the, yeah, and you've stressed enough about an exam happening in an hour's time someone just popped up behind him at the queue and paid for his petrol and Brendan says there was a lady, doesn't didn't get a name, got nothing. Was in a garage in Middleton yesterday morning, paid for petrol for a young lad who was on his way to do his leave and forgotten his card. And Brendan just went to say, Thank you, stranger. Uh, what were my symptoms with my feet when I went to Foot Solutions? I tell you what it was, right? Plantar fasciitis is this terribly nasty thing. And I don't know. How it happened when you get out of bed or when you've been sitting down for a while and you go to put your feet under you, pain under your heels. So when you particularly if you're getting up in the morning or you've been lying down for a while or sitting down for a while, you've been off your feet for a while and you stand up and you go to walk even across the room, kind of a spiky pain in your heels. Um, that's one of the signs I had anyway with the plantar fasciitis. Uh, it's it's a horrible thing and very common. And sometimes you get it in one foot, and sometimes you get it in another, and sometimes you get it in both feet at the same time. And sometimes it'll you'll you'll get rid of it out of one foot, and then it'll turn up in the. It's awful. Um, but I I popped into Tony and the lads down at Foot Solutions, and I said, "What on earth can I do here?" And they had me. On the road to recovery within an hour, which was good of them. Um, on pets and grief and stuff, we had to put down our dog, Spike. He was 17. Christmas 2019, he was knocked down. I think of him every day, and the tears come with all the memories I have of him. Yep, yeah, that is out there, and that is real grief. Um, now, Aubrey was on. Uh, My flight from Gran Canaria on Sunday was delayed, two hours, no explanation, uh, to Cork with Ryanair. Flight delayed by two hours, says Aubrey. This time of the year, Aubrey, two hours isn't all that bad, you know. Um, But you'd like to be told why, too, at the same time. You absolutely would. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm still... (coughs) So that's shaking off the tail end of this thing. 0818 96 96 96. Now, we live in a time where more people are talking. And that is great. And even doing this job, um, and the job I did before it, people will talk more about the most deeply personal things in their lives than they ever did before. And moreover, people will talk to their friends. And they'll bring stuff up with their friends. And they might bring stuff up with their friends that they're sharing for the first time. And maybe if people are starting to talk more, we need to learn to listen more. Or better. And uh, Fergal, as he's Want to do. Pointed me the way of Dr. Tracy Marks. Now, Tracy Marks is a bit of a YouTube sensation. She's a forensic psychiatrist practicing with over 20 years. And she's a regular on CNN and other channels for her uh, commentary on matters of psychiatry, psychology, forensic, that kind of thing. And she is a YouTube sensation. And I got to speak to Dr. Marks over the weekend about empathy. She did a video on empathy and how to listen and how not, moreover, how not to listen when somebody comes to you uh, with something. Now, my apologies, when I was talking to her, my my voice was in rags. um, But it's more of me, more of her than there is of me in this. So we got away with it. But this is the first appearance on The Opinion Line, possibly Uh, she'll appear again on another occasion talking about similar matters Uh, this is Dr. Tracy Marks. Dr. Tracy Marks, we live in different times, people are more willing now to come forward and talk about that which is on their mind and that's a great thing but we in turn need to be better listeners don't we?
2: Absolutely and generally we're not that great at listening, we may listen for a couple seconds and then your mind may start wandering to something else, like looking at the shirt that they're wearing. Um, so now is an important time more than ever to listen to people.
3: And can you define for me what empathy is?
2: Empathy is the ability to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. So to be able to see whatever it is they're saying or experiencing from their point of view.
3: Which is very difficult if you've never been where they are.
2: True. That is very difficult. So it's not a requirement that you have, you needed to have experienced whatever they did so that now you guys can be on the same page. If you haven't experienced what they're experiencing, the way you try and understand that is by asking questions, being curious to hear them, to listen to them and hear their story.
3: So empathy is maybe a skill set then?
2: I would say it's a skill set. I don't think everyone is born good at it. I do think it's something that you develop over time. Some people are just more prone to be listeners, but it is something that you can get better at if you're not a good listener.
3: One of the messages that I got clearly from your video was with the best will in the world, we want to understand, we want to help, we want to be in but we mess up. How can we avoid messing up?
2: Well... I think if you just keep remembering that you wanna you wanna be curious about whatever it is someone's saying to you. So let's say they they tell you they went to see this movie and you've never heard of the movie. Rather than just saying, uh-huh, and let them, you know, kind of keep going or let there be silence, you can say, Oh, tell me about the movie. I didn't is that out? That that's out now, but I, I've never seen a preview for it. What's it about? And then that gives the person permission to keep going because now they know that you're interested. So some people will give you kind of a a test uh, statement to see your level of interest. And so, um, you know, we're all going to mess up. It's never going to be perfect. And no one's expected to be therapists here. (laughs) The idea is that you take interest in people, be curious, and just ask questions and try and paint a picture of whatever, whatever it is that they're talking about. So oh. they're, they're telling you something and you wanna try and picture it in your mind what that was like for them. And if you're having trouble doing that, then ask more questions. Well, where did you go? Um, how was the theater? Was it crowded? So on and so on and so forth.
3: And obviously we're substituting going to see a movie here for something like, you know, my dad was a violent alcoholic they've offered you that. <laughs> and, and, and you kind of say, okay, tell me a bit about that. What was he like?
2: Right. So instead of assuming what you think they experienced, so a, a kind of a classic thing or a common thing someone may say is, oh, that must've been awful for you. Well, it might not have been awful. They may have liked the fact that their dad was checked out all the time and they didn't have to deal with him. So don't assume that they feel the same way about that that you would feel if you were in that position. So how can you how do you find out what effect that had on them? You just ask simply, very broadly, wow, what was that like? Mm.
3: Cuz you're that's an open-ended question rather than it must have been terrible for you.
2: Correct. And that's one of the ways that we're trained as therapists or I was trained as a psychiatrist of asking open-ended questions to get the person to tell you the story and not um, just ask questions that just have a yes or no answer. So did you do this? Yes. Did you do that? Because you could be doing that all day of, of getting one word answers from someone.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that tends to happen, it's kind of, we think we're validating, we think, ah, listen, it must be awful to have a, an alcoholic dad because, you know, my best friend had an alcoholic dad and here's what he went through. That's not the right direction to go, correct?
2: Correct. Well, let me qualify that. So, um, on the one hand, you do want to, to give some part of your experience that you feel maybe similar to theirs, so that they can feel connected to you. This shouldn't be just a monologue from the person or an interview of you asking questions and they, and they give all these answers, mm. but you don't want to start that way with, Oh, well, let me tell you, let me tell you what happened to me. Your dad was an alcoholic. Well, mine was strung out on drugs. Mm. That's what we call, or I referred to in the video was one upping. Yeah. You're telling me this bad thing and mine's worse than yours. But what instead, what you would want to do is um, you want to ask them broadly, well, you know, what was that like for you? And then as they tell you more, give them a break from needing to, like, unload all of the stuff. So when it's a natural break, let's say they stop talking, mm-hmm. if there's something that you can connect to or relate to, like, well, actually, your, your uncle drank heavily, and that was a big problem in the family. You could say something like, boy, that 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 sounds really tough. I didn't have an alcoholic in my family, but I know my uncle drank a lot. He may have had a drinking problem for all we know. Yeah. You know, something like that where you're just kind of saying, hey, I can relate because I had this experience, but you don't want to start with that yeah. because then that cuts them off.
3: You talk about one upping. You also talked about hijacking. Well, define what that is then.
2: Yes. Hijacking. And these are not official clinical terms. (laughs) Which
3: is better actually, doctor, because they're, they're plain English terms, which, which makes it easier to understand.
2: Correct. So hijacking the conversation is where you get just enough information for the, from the person to see where they're going. And then you jump in with your own anecdotes and your own story. And then you just kind of go off on your own thing. And now, And now wherever and, and your own thing may lead you in a whole different direction. So we started out talking about your alcoholic father. And now I'm talking about how, you know, some, the the guy who built my house went bankrupt and, you know, what am I going to do? And I think that guy was an alcoholic, blah, 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 blah. And now, you, it doesn't even seem appropriate for you to jump back in. Okay, so back to my father. I mean, so now that person is just kind of cut off because you've just taken the conversation in a whole different direction. And now there's nothing else for them to say.
3: So they've come to you to share something with you and you've actually said, oh no, it's about me.
2: That's right. That's right. That's how it becomes. It's about you. And it is when you just... Take over, and you don't really let them have anything else to say, because now you go into this long, uh, this long story of your own. And that's different from what I was just saying about offering some sample experiences that you think may relate to them. With that, you just want to be short with it. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I could see how you'd feel that way because we had this going on, but it's short. It's yeah. not, "Oh, yeah." And then now for 10 more minutes, you're talking. Yeah.
3: Do you know the way people can sort of throw you a bone as it were, or leave some, a trail of breadcrumbs in that they inside themselves want you to dig deeper, but you don't know how, how do you do that?
2: So sometimes you may not be in the right headspace to hear what someone has to say. So, um, you know, they come to you with, my life is is, I feel like my life is ruined and I'm I'm nothing. And you were like looking at TikTok or something, and you can't even like jump into that depth of a conversation. So I do think it is appropriate, um, especially if it's someone with whom you're familiar, a friend, a colleague, or someone you're somewhat close to, to just say, whoa, uh Empathize with them. So I'm, I'm sorry that um, you're experiencing that. Um, You know what? I really want to hear what you have to say. Uh, But right now I know I wouldn't be able to listen to you. So how about we talk about this over lunch or later on or something like that? Hmm. So rather than you try and like click into, to whatever it is they're saying and, Feign, and th- feign interest when you don't really have it, hmm. just let them know that, um, okay, I do want to hear you, but I can't hear you right now. And doing that is also, I know this is a different topic, but it's also part of self-care. There are some people who are too empathic, hmm. uh, so to speak, are very sensitive and can just absorb, just be sponges for everyone's hurt. And that can be very draining uh, for that person. So sometimes you need to set boundaries with how much deep, hurtful, negative stuff that you want to hear and engage with. Yeah. Inviting them to continue can be as simple as looking them in the eye and just, um, and giving them your full attention instead of looking down at your phone and being really what now, yeah. Just giving them your full attention. You may not even have to say anything. And that will let them know they can keep going. What is the message
3: of silence, uh, doctor? It a great broadcaster called Terry Wogan, whom you may have heard, always said, don't fear the silence. How important is silence to a conversation? The message is I'm listening, I'm listening.
2: Yeah, silence is very important to a conversation. And we learn this um in training as well as a therapist to not be afraid to let there be silence because a person may be thinking and there may be a lot going on in their head. And if you just jump in because it's uncomfortable and you need to fill the space up with something, you could again hijack the conversation, take it in a different direction, or you can cut them off because they want to say something, but now you're talking about something else and they don't feel comfortable. Continuing with what hmm. they started with, um, if you so that's kind of from the therapist's point of view of letting people having giving an open-ended question and letting someone just go. And if they pause, let them pause. You don't want to pause for 15 minutes, but hmm. let them pause for a little bit to see if you know they're just thinking and then keep going. Hmm. Um, but in know, just a regular friendly conversation with someone, um, yes, it could feel uncomfortable if they're silence, but I think it's it's less uncomfortable if you do if you are making eye contact because you can see what the person is doing. Hmm. If they've stopped talking and they're just looking at you, they probably are done. Yeah. Versus um they're looking up or looking down because they're thinking and you can get a feel for, okay, I'll just sit here a minute um and let them continue.
3: I think there's sometimes a thin line between being empathetic And being nosy.
16: (laughs)
2: Yeah. um, Yes. So you can, under the guise of I'm being curious and I want to know details, really be asking lots of things just for your own entertainment or satisfaction. Details that make no difference in the story or that the person may not have even told you had you not asked. So, um, you know, I had a fight with my husband and, um, you know, you're asking about how often are we intimate or did that, did that interrupt your intimacy? I mean, I may not have even was going to go down that road. Uh, but now you're just trying to like pull out stuff. That's not, that's too much for you to be asking. Um, and just for your own satisfaction. So, I think a way around that or to make sure that's not what you're doing is that the questions that you're asking or follow up on the things that they're saying just giving more detail. Hmm. So, if I had a fight with my husband, oh gosh. Um, where does it stand now? Did you guys make up? Or, you know, that kind of thing. That that's a natural follow up.
3: Where should you never go in a conversation where a person has begun to tell you something or Let's bring it back to the topic of, say, mental health. If a person is telling you that they're in a bad place and they're frightened about what they might do, what should you never do then?
2: I would say you should never invalidate their feelings. So you may not, it may not be obvious how they feel. I mean, if, they, if they're telling you that they don't feel like life is worth living, you can, that gives you a clue of what they're thinking. But you don't want to say something like, oh, come on, you just bought a new house. You just got a promotion. What's the problem? Or How, what, what would make you depressed? Things like that, where that um, basically tell the person, um, it doesn't make sense for you to feel what you're feeling. So get over yourself.
3: Yeah. There was a time when we did that. What have you got to feel bad about? Oh uh, yes. But but we learned, I think, or we have learned, I hope so, that actually what's presented to us can be a very veneered version of reality. And when you're being allowed behind that veneer, it's it's a it's a
2: privilege. It sure is. I say that I've always said that it's a privilege to have people feel like they can um, emotionally unload with me and, and talk about things that are uncomfortable, talk about things that they, they, um, don't feel like other people may want to hear. Um, and you know, when, when someone's talking about something painful, it's they feel pain while they're saying it. So it's not necessarily something someone wants to talk about, but here they are, um, Uh, I call it emotionally undressing. That's probably not the best way to put it. But, um, you know, if you go to see a physical doctor, you undress so that you can get a physical exam with me. It's emotional undressing. But at any rate, um, but making themselves be vulnerable Hmm. and talking about things that are very uh, sensitive. I think it's a privilege for someone to trust me with that kind of information. Hmm.
3: And you know the way then in the course of a conversation like that, I'm sure as a therapist, you've been, there many times, something will <clears throat> pop into your mind that you feel might be useful for the person talking to you. At what point do you introduce that without doing what we talked about previously, hijacking?
2: Um, just as a regular person talking? Yeah. Or you're talking about as a therapist?
3: I suppose the therapeutic skills, Tracy, for the ordinary individual whose friend has come to them.
2: Uh, the friend therapist. I would say um, it's really a judgment call on your part. It's, there's not a one right answer. Yeah. So just get a feel for when you think there's a natural break in what they're saying and that they've finished their point. And that may be that you have to wait out a couple of pauses. Um, another a difficult thing about that though, is you still need to stay engaged with the person. So Uh, one way that could not be a good thing to do is you're not even listening anymore to what they're saying because you have this thing you want to say and you're just waiting your turn to talk. Mm. Um, And it might be that if you fully engage that you might forget your point. So depending on how close you are to the person, if it's a really close friend, um, you might say, you know what? I I just need to say this one thing. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I don't want to forget blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now go ahead. I just wanted to get that out before I forgot, but go ahead. Yeah. You know, something like that.
3: Have you tried going to Alcoholics Anonymous or have you tried calling a suicide helpline or something? At what point would you introduce that?
2: Yeah. um, The way you said it is actually very good because it's just asking a simple question that doesn't, have to sound judgmental people can feel very judged if they're asked about things they haven't done so well have you have you been going to 12-step meetings no and then you know they may feel compelled to give an excuse as to why and explain themselves to you and things like that so asking something like have you considered um, alcoholics anonymous or a 12-step meeting is um, simply asking it like you're asking a simple question and that's it. Mm. Um, So you have to watch your tone, Um, I think is, is helpful. However, um, yes, be careful not to slip too much into fixing problem fixing. Uh, Sometimes people just want to vent. I know we hear this all the time, but people just want to vent and they don't want you to come up with all these solutions for them because sometimes it can feel very um, like you're, Uh, being superior to them. You've got the solutions and they don't. And, um, and that's not what they want to hear. They don't want to hear you fix, fix the problem for them.
3: I think men are worse at that than women. We like to fix.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. That, that comes from that. um, Well, he probably didn't invent the idea, but the uh, men are from Mars. Women are from Venus thing. (laughs) That was a big craze for a while. And talking about men being the ones who like to fix and women like to sit around and talk about how we feel about stuff. And I I think that's true. You know, I'm in a book club. When when I go to book club, we just go on and on about this and that and the other, and no one's in there saying, well, you should have done this. And well, why didn't you do that? No one is saying that because we all know no one wants to hear that. (laughs) We just want, I just want you to hear what I'm saying. And I think it just comes naturally to women.
3: Yeah before I let you go you have a new book out and maybe you'd like to tell us about it
2: I sure do it's called why am i so anxious and it it publishes in august and it is a very deep dive into the many factors that can make you anxious including temperament and personality Um, And then there's a whole, the, the remainder or last half of the book is a bunch of tools that you can use to help and manage your anxiety.
3: Well, we might talk about that book again sometime. Thank you so much. Dr. Marks, it's been fascinating to speak with you and thank you very much for your time.
2: Thank you. I really enjoyed this.
3: It's Dr. Tracy Max. You'll find her videos on YouTube. All kinds of different subjects to do with mental health and psychology and psychiatry, and just, I guess, understanding the human condition and and how to help with it. 0818 Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six
0: ninety six. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton the
1: on Corks ninety six
5: FM join me Saturday mornings from 10 I've got 4 hours of the best music mix, check out the Cork Weekend survey, have a go at the Wayne teaser question there's the latest celebrity gossip. a look at what's happening around town and we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton Saturdays 10am
1: with CarMax Used Car Supermarket Dublin Road for Moy, great deals on hundreds of cars, just a short drive from the tunnel. Visit carmax.ie
0: on Cork's 96 FM. It just came back to that message
3: we had from Aubrey earlier on about the uh, delayed flights. I guess we're coming into that space now where delays are going to happen. We all thought with Dublin Airport being the mess it was, that Cork was hunky dory and tickety boo and there were no delays of any kind. I doubt that'll be the case throughout the whole summer. And tours with screaming children. In a, in a runway or an airport terminal. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I don't get that. 0818 96 96 96. There's a food production course. It's a speciality food production course. Been running at UCC now for quite a number of years. Uh, Dr. Angela Sheehan, it, it's been remarkably successful, hasn't it? Good morning.
16: Good morning, and thank you for having us on. Um, yes, this is this diploma has been going since uh, 2005. Uh, since, when, since then, we've had uh, about 280 graduates, so oh. by next year we'll reach 300, so yeah, it is, it's both from strength to strength, that's for sure.
3: And is it done through the adult education section of the college, or is it... A- we,
16: yes, we are actually, I'm part of a food industry training unit, which is part of food, the, the School of Food Science and Nutrition in UCC, but we are connected to the adult continuing education as well, so our courses run through them. So yeah, we're, we're very much part of uh, continuing education.
3: Now, you had to change, obviously, like everybody else did during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You took a lot of it online and I think what you've discovered is taking it online opens a whole new vista of possibility.
16: Yes, we were delighted. I would have thought initially that there was no way we could run this particular programme online because it's a huge amount of interaction and all of that networking within it. However, We had to go online, we had no choice if we wanted to continue, and we were 100% online for one year, year before last, and that worked quite well, actually. And then following that, we decided, you know, this could be done um, in a blended sort of format. So this current year, we've just finished the programme, and we ran uh, 14 sessions, 10 of which were online, and four which were face-to-face, and it actually worked really, really well. We were very delighted and surprised with how well it worked of course um participants really networked and they got together and they got to know each other online and face to face
3: who who takes part in it who who joins
16: um the, typically the we have a huge range actually you know it's it's but i would say you could categorize maybe a third would be kind of from a farming background farming family maybe a third would be you know cooks chef chefs um you know people interested in baking and so on and then a third could be absolutely anybody we've had all sorts of people, bankers, solicitors, architects, uh, professional rugby player, and we have teachers right. and on and on. I mean, absolutely anybody with a, a kind of a passion, interest for for food, especially specialty arts and food. Um, and people change careers to, to do this or they come out of the farm. The farm actually is uh, the farming family is actually one area. We get quite a few okay. people as well because they're trying to diversify. But actually it could be anyone it, it's a huge range yeah,
3: p- post pandemic when unfortunately so many businesses were were damaged by the effects of uh, of the pandemic the, the the buzzword was pivot are people maybe looking at the course as a way to pivot themselves now
16: I think you're right. I think so. That um, We saw that way back in 2008 when there was a bit of a recession going on. And we actually, our numbers went went quite high at that time. But this was kind of a similar thing where people were looking for ways out. And also, of course, a lot of um, food producers uh, turned around and went online and people just saw the potential and the, the possibilities. And also, I think people were beginning to discover the really good food producers that are around and they're inspired by them. How accessible
3: is it? Is it, is it a CEO course or do you have to have particular qualifications or what?
16: No, um, we actually pride ourselves on that. We we don't actually look for academic qualifications. We we um, we select because we have a bursary, which I should mention as well from the Department of Agriculture. It's very significant. We've had that for ten years, and we will have it for another couple of years. But people, um, t- you know, they apply for the course, and they basically make a case on, the, on you know, on their background, their passion for food, um, if they have a current business that they want to extend, or they have some really good ideas, and they also kind of. To, you know, let us know how they can use the diploma to use uh, to you know to make the best use of the the bursaries actually. But so you know, there's no qualifications required as such, and they get a huge amount of support then to do to, to progress through the program. And uh, because it is academic, there are there are assessments. There's no doubt about that, and it is quite rigorous. But yeah. We don't. We don't require anything but a passion for food and, um, and 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 you know an understanding of how they're going to succeed and use the the bursaries and use the diploma content. You know.
3: I'll come back to you, Angela. <laughs> stay there for me, Orla McAndrew. Hi, Orla from Orla McAndrew Catering and Events. Uh, how are you doing?
0: Good. Good to great, PJ. Did you? you do
3: this course?
17: I did, and you know what? i I've studied a great number of courses, and the one year in UCC doing the diploma was. Definitely the most beneficial. Um, And I'm I'm glad actually that I did it when it was all in person because that was the most, uh, that was fantastic for me, the networking, the getting to know other people in the industry and making connections that have lasted till now. So it took me quite a while after doing it to actually land on my feet and decide what I was going to do. But always that was that, that grounding and that education that I got in that course was there and it it saw me through to my eventual end as a caterer. Do
3: you know what's interesting about courses like this is we think that college is about going to do law or going to do medicine or going to do arts or going to do computers. But you went there and developed a business out of it.
17: Absolutely, and UCC is fantastic for for that. And I have to commend Angela; she was just such a warm and caring and wonderful course director. And I think every graduate who has come out would say the same. She really encourages us all to, you know, develop whatever area that we are interested in. And it was really phenomenal.
3: Yeah. Well, are you? Oh, is there a new course starting in the autumn, Angela? Is are you open to applications at this point?
16: We are. We are currently open uh, from here on in, now we'll be taking applications. We'll be starting again in October, um, the 12th of October, that kind of way. And just to say, it is a part-time course. And um, when people join, they come in for two days every three weeks or so. So there's about 14 sessions through the year and it's Tuesdays and Wednesdays, nine to five. And even when we're on air, though, or on air as right, well, when we're um, online, we uh, all of the lectures come on live so it's like being in the classroom. It's not recorded. Whether well, they are recorded for after use, but yes. they're all live sessions. So um, I, I just should, should emphasize that you know that they're um, that the lectures are on and that it's part time. That's important. And Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So there's a certain commitment there, but uh, it's not full time.
3: Excellent. Thank you. That's Angela Sheehan. She's Dr. Angela Sheehan, course director of the uh, UCC Diploma in Speciality of Food Production, and Orla McAndrew uh, of Orla McAndrew Catering and Events, who is uh, a graduate of that course. Uh, so there's the caliber of who's gone through it. And if it's something you might be thinking about, well, you'll find it on the UCC website. Oh, well, there's some sad news. The death has been announced of Mr. Ray Coyle. And you might be wondering who Ray Coyle is. Ray Coyle is the man uh, who developed and founded Tato Park. That's so sad news to hear that today.
0: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
17: Text or
1: WhatsApp now. 0833
3: On courts 96 FM. Alright, have a listen to this. There's a special treatment of uh, that song. Unusual treatment by Highfalutin. Highfalutin, a flute quartet. The kind of quartet, uh, Katrina Emtys joins me. Katrina, the kind of quartet you see in the corner of an event space and you're wondering, what are they doing? Because it's brilliant and I want to hear more. Tell me about Highfalutin. Good morning.
13: Good morning to you. Yeah, well, we are... um flute players um, based in in Cork, and um, we have developed this quartet uh, over the years. And with the addition of very unusual instruments like the contrabass flute, which you heard there briefly, we've been able to extend our repertoire and uh, cover the the repertoire that you'd normally hear a string quartet play, but as well, we've been developing our own arrangements and covers of popular songs like Havana.
3: Yeah, because, you know, four flutes just standing there would all sound the same, but it's when you mix the different variations of the flute into it and different harmonies and different keys, it's brilliant.
13: Yeah, so we've been... Developing the, the, the contrabass flute is a, a relatively new instrument. It's only really come into its own in the last 20 years. So with the ad- ad- addition of that to the quartet, we've been able to really extend our range. And um, we've also using um, other flutes like the piccolo and the bass flute and alto flute. So even though it is a one instrument it Mm. does give you a a whole box of new tricks
3: yeah how much fun is it to do something like uh, that Camilla Cabello song because you wouldn't be expecting it you see you know four classical musicians at the end of an event space or a room and thinking hang on what are they doing how how much fun is it to do something like that how hard is it to take something like a a pop song and adapt it for flutes, leather?
1: Well, we've um,
13: been, we're all very established performers and um, we know that uh, good music can come in many shapes and forms. So we take just songs that we like and adapt them for the quartet and um, we try to find something that that resonates with us and then we think that that will appeal to our audience as well.
3: Hmm. You got any events coming up that people might get to see and hear more?
13: Yes, exactly. So we are very excited with the um, uh, prospect of playing. This Saturday, we're playing at the uh, Marina Market uh, from 1 to 2.30. And we are also playing at the Goggins Hill National School this Saturday from 4 to 5 p.m. And then uh, the following Sunday, we're delighted to be able to play for the Cork Summer Show.
3: Oh, wow. That's so there you'll hear
13: get to hear all the, the uh, different arrangements and some of our own music.
3: Yeah. The acoustics in to Market are really going to help you, aren't they? Really going to work for you.
13: Well, we actually uh, did one performance there uh, Saturday week ago, And we played outside, but we had a great sound system. And it was lovely sitting in the sunshine and just having everybody sitting around enjoying the all the food and the delicious offerings from the Marina Market as well.
3: That's fantastic, Katrina. I think I might as well find myself at the Marina Market for lunch on Saturday just to hear your tunes. Uh, thank you very much. That's Katrina Emtage of Highfalutin, uh, Eilish Sullivan, Maria Mulcahy and Aoife O'Donovan are the other members They're at the Marina Market Saturday at lunchtime. I was down there actually uh, just last weekend and... Every time you go down, they've done more at the marina market. It's just brilliant now. Really, really
7: brilliant. Right, where are we going? Oh, yeah, of course. I agree with that's the way to treat people. And if the Prime Minister himself wants to talk to me, I will crawl, swim, I will fly over there this weekend. Sit in front of him, I will drop on my knees and beg for those 400,000 people to just have fun. Steady on,
3: Garrett, steady on, you'll... Burst of Blood Vessel. Claire, what was he talking about?
10: They were talking about Garrett Brooks and the cancellation of all his concerts in Crow Park.
3: Very good. In in 2014, and he's back. Would you be a fan?
10: I'm a huge fan. I was actually on the phone for tickets uh, the first morning that they were released. Right. And I was actually uh, in the C O M H hospital uh, in Liverpool with my daughter, right. uh, Isabel, yeah, and I didn't get the ticket, but I had my daughter, and then I went back again online in May the 29th, I think it was, and I got the ticket sent, or the 24th, I think it was, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yes,
3: yeah. Nice and comfortable for the queuing up now. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to wear, the, have to wear this, this, the, the comfy shoes for queuing up and all that.
10: I know, and I, what, I still have the tickets to this day. I just kept them. I was going ah, yeah. Back. yeah, I was yeah. supposed to go
3: to those gigs as well. I think someone, someone's someone got the tickets somewhere. But are you going to go this year?
10: Uh, no, I can't go this year. But, guys, we're going away. But, I, please, God, I'll get to see him sometime. Because I do love listening to him. I love watching him.
3: Well, when, for the next gig you get to go to, you'll be in the comfiest shoes in the stadium because you have a 150 euro foot solutions gift card. Oh, uh, wow. For guests in that event, all and right? They're there celebrating 15 years, and you're our winner with them today. All right, Claire, thanks very much. Uh, Yeah, it was Gareth Brooks talking about cancelling the gigs in 2014. Back again, he is in September. Looking forward to it too. All right, that's it for today. The programme edited by Fergus Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. See you tomorrow, just after nine.
0: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the
1: full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie.